Welcome to Cycling Fashion Week, the world's premiere, the world's only podcast purely dedicated to cycling style, takes, fashion, fits, and overall lifestyle. I am your regular host, Alex. I am back on the podcast, joined by your regular co-hosts, Warren, and it's the return of Tony, who is back after... Oof, I'm going to say a six-week hiatus or an eight-week hiatus. How old is your daughter, Tony? That Because that's about that's about the time that you've been gone. Seven weeks. Yeah, it must be about seven weeks. Two, I think two episodes because we're uh, now that we're no longer bound to any responsibility of when we release, I guess we've had two episodes over a couple months instead of two over one month. So, uh, so how are you adjusting to the life as a cycling dad, as a gravel dad? I mean, I haven't got out on the gravel yet. Uh, but I mean, really, so the road, I guess it's sort of inappropriate that I'm still doing that. The dad watch, I feel like they haven't kicked in. I got dropped on our, uh, our, our fast Friday ride in fairness, Warren got dropped too, but he was like really sick. Yeah. That's why he's, he's, he's fast enough to keep up with these people. So I, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, if any listeners have read the, the scientific literature, the peer reviewed studies on when the dad watch kick in officially or sort of, you know, the typical time, you know, I feel like maybe it's a bit too early. Maybe I need to sort of be a dad a little longer maybe it's the three month mark or something that those those sort of extra watches sort of show up how often did you get out there since the birth of your daughter it seems to me like you've been i don't know you've ridden quite a bit um over the last seven weeks yeah i've gotten out there i mean i think for any uh anyone who says that being a parent is hard is soft they're just soft it's, it's a change in your life and um you know uh, i guess maybe it's just i'm not an anxious person and so, and you know, my wife and I made a deal pretty early on about like making sure we had like at least a little bit of sort of personal time, you know, for ourselves. So she's gone out and did, done some of her hobbies and errands, you know, an hour here, an hour there. Uh, while I take uh, the kiddo for a walk around or just kind of hang out and uh, watch some baseball. So we've both uh, tried to make sure that we didn't get kind of too consumed by it all. It's been good. But yeah, being a parent's not that hard. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. There's some, there's some more <laughs> seven weeks than uh, already declaring parenting easy. Okay, up to seven weeks is not a, no. We've also had a very good kid. I do know that it's different for everyone. That's you know to the future parents because sure, there, there's a lot of bad kids out there, right? Tony? Yeah. Well, no, but to the future parents out there, I would say if anyone gives you advice, don't take it because it's every child is different. We're, you know, you get told so many things, and everyone sort of says it set in stone. But every child is different, and you know. We've had we have a sleeper, a good eater. Good for you that you got out there because I I definitely wasn't riding as much as you have been in the first uh, seven weeks of life of my daughter. I'm also not working. To be fair to you, Alex, I'm not working right now. So well, that that helps. That that for sure helps. So okay, we so Tony and I have were gone last. I, I was gone last episode. Tony's been gone the last two episodes, and we've had the uh, incredible Italian Alex and the fantastic Skyler sit in for us with some great takes, excellent chemistry on the podcast. Love Italian Alex, love Skyler. They've done a great job. And I think that maybe on the last episode, Warren dropped, I think, probably what will become known as a Cycling Fashion Week Hall of Fame take, where if you are to do the Hall of Fame of all of our episodes, this was maybe the greatest take. When Warren canaled Girona, I listened to this and I was thinking, yes, Warren, keep going. It was an incredible take that Warren had, really just dunking on the whole influencer culture. I am going to ask the question, though, Warren, should you have canaled Mallorca as well? Because 
I feel like there's pretty stiff competition between Girona and Mallorca in terms of the influencer destinations that are essentially, it's all the same destination. So did you miss the boat on Mallorca? That's hard for me to say. Based on what I see on my Instagram discover page and I'm, and fed, it seems to be a lot of Girona content because I don't really follow many influencers on Instagram, like a few here and there for various research purposes. I feel like it's it's a Drona. Like I'm absolutely fine with also throwing Mallorca in the canal because sure, it, I know like a lot of like, I have seen some content from Mallorca where there's like brand summits or like other sort of get togethers or whatever, where if you ever wonder where your money's going when you pay like $300 for a jersey, that's where it's going. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. For me, Drona is, is still what I would canal, but it's more ubiquitous than, than Mallorca. Yeah. I'm going to agree with Warren. Say Mallorca that. looks really nice too, but yeah, it looks less overrun with influencers than Girona. And sorry, I did want to add that I met because I mentioned this when I was canaling Girona that we were going to get in touch with our good friend, David Millar and see what he, he thinks. And he fully supported our, our canal. We sent it to him and he was like, oh my God, yes, I can't wait for them all to leave. So, or not verbatim. That's essentially what he said. I don't think I've noticed as much going on. I feel like Mallorca has, has, has passed. It's now time to go back, right? Like, I feel like when the kind of influencer world started out a couple of years ago, kind of what it's become now from just some cool cyclists taking photos to try to sort of be like an industry and a job and stuff. Like, Mallorca was a bit hotter than Girona. I mean, Girona's been hot for like pro cyclists, right? I mean, that, that was Lance's spot. 25 years ago i feel like mallorca kind of like faded out and everyone because everyone's got to kind of do the same thing everyone even though mallorca looks beautiful and is probably incredible everyone like had to be in Girona. and this is kind of to warren's point of why he canaled it is like even mallorca is like a close and different option than Girona, but it's like Girona is the spot like you need to make sure that you're in Girona because that's mm -hmm. getting you your best content Right. That's like pushing your best feed. That's, I guess, like probably like also like meeting up with other influencers, doing like influencers, cycling things together. And so Mallorca is kind of like, like Mallorca is now like kind of niche almost again. Like I feel like I, I, you don't hear as many people talking about their trip to Mallorca as, as you used to. And now it's all Girona all the time. I wanted to commend Warren because that was one of the greatest takes ever dropped on this podcast. I couldn't agree more. Girona is firmly in the canal. We will, we will let you know when it's out of the canal is it is it in that river like all that bridge that all the influencers take pictures on in Girona that river kind of looks like a canal to be honest the water looks like it's about the same quality anyway it's in there when you mentioned the the cycling fashion week hall of fame are we we're, we're coming up on our 50th episode are have we been around long enough to have like a a clip show not even close no? oh clip shows are the worst is it no probably not this will be in in about a decade I know, I know they're the worst, but they'd be a lot easier for us to make. You just go pull out some old clips and be like, for our new listener. Anyway, I'm just, I don't actually want to make a clip show. I was just, uh, I, I just, you know, maybe 100 episodes. What That's what we'll do. I'll retire before we make a clip show. So we got a special episode today. We got a special guest. So we have Terrence and Jesse from Heavy Pedal, the kid brand out of Arizona in the USA that joined us to talk about the brand, talk about Arizona and a whole bunch of other things. It was a pretty interesting discussion. Unfortunately, our podcast platform failed on me, I would say about 
an eighth into the interview for me and I had to drop off. Tony and Warren handled it very well. They did the rest of the interview. So uh, we got Jesse and Terrence from Heavy Pedal coming in to talk to us about the brand. And with that, we'll go straight to the interview. For our next segment, the main segment of the show, we are excited to welcome Jesse and Terrence from Heavy Pedal, which if you're not familiar with them, they are a US-based kit brand out of Arizona that we we've been aware of on the pod I think for a little while I've been I've been because of the we'll get into their origins but because of my fixed gear background I've been aware of them for whatever they've been around for 15 years or 12 years or something like that so (laughs) yeah Tony's got to make the claim that I Warren have been aware of them for the last couple (laughs) of years because I think I actually first heard about you because uh of your custom program and then I because of that, I started looking into your actual kit designs. And a reason we wanted to, to have you guys on the show is because, as we'll get into, is you have a you know a selection of sort of the, the staple block colors, but you also get into some like a lot wilder designs and some interesting collabs. And yeah, we're excited to have you on and bring something uh, a bit different to the podcast for us to talk about. And we're looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. So, uh, Terrence and Jesse, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So what we often like to do is, uh, and this will relate to, you know, maybe how Tony discovered the heavy pedal brand originally, but we just wanted to know how each of you got into cycling and yeah, not even necessarily brand, just how you got into cycling itself to start. I, I got into cycling just like as a kid riding around. Um, and I remember like there's, there's childhood photos of me wearing like a Colnago cycling cap just because I, I like, like cycling and, uh, someone in my family must've just been really into it because they were the ones buying the, the Colnago cycling caps back then. But yeah, as a kid, I got around on bikes and then, uh, I took it a little more serious in college. I rode a bike to get around. Uh, and that's, when I got into fixed gear bikes, cause it's just a lot less maintenance and super easy. And, and they're just like the popular bike of the time. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into cycling is especially more as a sport and not just like riding around the neighborhood with friends. I kind of grew up more like in the outskirts of town. So I grew up a uh, dirt road, just got into like BMX dirt jumping. So I kind of got my start that way. And my dad was into road cycling and he'd always try to get me to do like the L tour to Tucson and I just thought it was so lame to do like road cycling. It's so funny. And, you know, he dragged me out a couple of times. I'd do a tandem with him and do like the whole tour to Tucson with him. And then it wasn't until I got into like probably my later 20s that I uh, got into fixed gear bikes. And that's when I met the Terrence over at Heavy Pedal. They were just kind of doing their thing and it was all fixed gear oriented. And I just kind of liked the vibe of it. It reminded me more of like the BMX routes or skateboarding. And then it really wasn't until like my mid thirties that I even got a road bike. And now I'm just full on roadie. Obsessed. Well, it's something that I always, I hate being to ask people, uh, you know, guests that I think kind of have similar backgrounds to, to us in terms of like getting into it, whether it be through skateboarding and fix or sort of riding around. And like you kind of said, like, Oh, it really seems sort of uncool in a way. I mean, I think Alex has a bit of a a different background because his dad was super into it and he grew up a little more, fan the tour and stuff but like for us to eventually get to the point where you know it all just seemed kind of lame and the dentist stuff and then we're, we're all shaving our legs and buying spandex yes. and like worrying about our weight and finding out all these numbers and stuff and it's just like like i don't think i ever thought when you know when i first 
got my first my first fixed bike wasn't even a fix, it was just a conversion fixed wheel on a on an old road frame but if you had told me you know whatever it was a couple of years later i'd be shaving my legs and spandex and you know worrying about if i you know how much i weighed and what my power was you, I, I think you were you know crazy but it, it, road cycling seems to turn everybody once they once they get the bug yeah i never even thought i would ever wake up at 5 30 a.m life changes Jesse, are you one of those people that does like BMX stuff on a road bike? I feel like I see that on Instagram sometimes. People like, you know, hopping curbs, like launching jumps. Do you do any of that? Uh, Not too much. Maybe if I'm on a gravel bike, I'll get a little bit more risky. I'm a little too old to be flying through the air. Are you both from Arizona originally? We are. I'm from Phoenix, though. Jesse's from Tucson. Yeah. A lot of people from Canada travel to Arizona to go on cycling trips, mostly in the winter. A lot of people go to Tucson, actually. I think they want to climb Mount Lemon. And from what I've heard, it's a fantastic place to ride. Like tell us a little bit about the, the cycling scene in Arizona. Yeah, we definitely have like a cycling scene of like people who want to take cycling a little bit more serious. We don't really have like a commuter thing where you, there's not a ton of people riding down the street to work. You don't really see that in, in Phoenix. Um, yeah. <laughs> but definitely people like to come to Arizona, definitely to get out of Canada. It's not raining here. The weather's like you know, great in the winter, um, 61 degrees during the day yeah. in the winter. So yeah. And Jesse could touch on Tucson cause like pros go and train in Tucson. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, Armstrong even had a cabin on Mount Lemon and he would just do repeats <laughs> up and down. But I mean, it's, uh, I think it's about like an 8,000 foot climb, um, in like 27 miles, depending on where you're starting from. But uh, it's also just super scenic. You're starting off in the Saguaro national park and then you're in the high desert. And then by the time you get to the top, there's like, there might be snow up there and it's like pine trees. And so, I mean, just, uh, it's a pretty scenic, uh, amazing ride to do. Would you guys say that the place that you're from has an influence on your designs and kind of how you approach uh, design and kit at all? Like, can we see Arizona in uh, the heavy pedal kits? I think you could see it mostly if you think about like our longevity of how we've never produced anything long sleeve or like (laughs) (laughs) long leg tights or anything like that, because we don't think in terms of that. We just barely started doing like long sleeve stuff within like the last year and a half, two years or something like that. So those kind of influences, Alex, absolutely. As far as the design of the kits, we do go with like a color palette for, for uh, spring, summer, and then a different one for fall, winter. So that's just really more like where fashion is concerned. So as far as like, you're not going to see a lot of like cactus and stuff like that in our design, <laughs> but yeah, definitely influences kind of what we make. And we're trying to step out of that so that everyone can wear heavy pedal year round. You mentioned how you, you have a couple different palettes that you do per year. So be interested to hear more about that, but also based on some of your kits, like the, the, uh, I'm going to call them weed kits, but I don't, I don't know how you might call them or or like the low speed club, um, that kind of thing. It feels like you're willing to like try a lot of different things with the design. So we're wondering where the ideas or even just the color choices come from. Yeah. The 420, the 420 kit just came from, we released a kit every 420. We've been doing it for a while now. Um, especially since marijuana use is legal pretty much all over the United States. That's where the 420 kit comes from. The, um, long, slow distance club, a cycling club. I think that's the LSD one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll let Jesse touch on that because he works with that designer a little bit more. Yeah. So, I mean, we, uh, we work with a lot of different designers as well. And sometimes they'll come up with like, I have this cool concept. And so for this particular one, it's this designer that works over at Nike and he was like, just submitted this thing. He's like, Oh, I got this long 
LSDCC, long, slow distance cycling culture. And, you know, we did like t-shirts, jerseys, you know, and he just, it just looked really cool. So, I mean, that's kind of where that came from, but I would say like, as far as like influence, it's kind of changed over the years. Like if you go take like a deep dive and you go back to like when we first started doing kits, maybe eight, nine years ago is like very influenced by like graffiti. Cause you know, we grew up doing graffiti and stuff like that when we were younger. So I think that had a big impact on as far as like design goes. And then it's just been kind of evolving. And like every couple of years, I feel like we kind of make this new chapter, you know, of our brand and, you know, things evolve. You know, just our taste, taste evolve as we get older and stuff like that and things we want to see on, on, on the apparel changes. So, And I would say even just cycling, you know, fashion has changed. So you got to kind of keep up with times. If you keep doing the same thing we were doing eight years ago, I mean, I mean, maybe it's going to come full circle, I think, and everything's going to get wild and crazy again. But I mean, you just got to kind of keep up with trends and try to also put your unique perspective on what the trends are going to be looking like. I think that that's a sort of a great point with what the trends are, because I think right now, and I want to kind of get your take on this, maybe... Wout and Matthew Vanderpool might be a bigger battle in cycling, but to me right now, the biggest battle in cycling is earth tones versus sort of bold, eccentric designs, right? It's it's a debate. We've talked about it. That's where probably a ton of our engagement comes on our sort of social media and emails is people either, you know, saying this is too much. I want to stick with my earth tones or people saying I'm so bored of this. What's your take on it? I know you guys do some, you know, simple colors as well, but some of your kits really out there. Some of your collabs, probably your liquid death collab is, you know, one of your more popular things of, of recent note. Where do you stand on it? You think it's just a, there's a, there should be a place for both. You know, everyone should have a couple sort of block color earth tones and then a few wild kits for the sort of, uh, you know, Tuesday night world championships or hmm. where, where do you stand? Where do you stand on, on, on the greatest cycling battle? It would be weird to have like a brand which is one just one point of view just because humans like we all have a different point of view you know what i mean we all like different things so and even internally in this conversation that we have is that we like we like some of that like color blocking stuff it can look really cool you know what i mean but um we also like here and there to have just like a more wild looking kit and i think i think those are two totally separate customers and um you know, we don't lean into either one like too heavily. We we just kind of try to have something for for both of them. So, Terrence, you said there's sort of two different customers. Do you, do you have an idea of like who the or is there somebody you would say there is the sort of the heavy pedal cyclist or, or rider, or, or do you look to kind of speak to lots of different people with these different designs? I think our overarching conversation is is talking to people like kind of like us, you know what I mean? We're not like uptight cyclists or like, you know, extremists from a cycling perspective, you know? So I think our outward appearance and like how, you know, our like brand voice and stuff like that is sort of just like how we are. And it's also, it's like, what do we want to wear? You know, like I ride a lot. So I'm, I'm like, what do yeah. I want to wear? And, and sometimes, you know, it's like, I just want to wear a solid black jersey, solid black bibs. Um, I might want to wear something wild and bright and colorful. It could be like nighttime. And I'm like, I just want something loud that maybe gets a little bit more attention. And I'm sure that's with most people, you know, not everyone's going to be wearing the same exact kit every day. It's funny you say that. I think, I think that is true. Like that's certainly how I feel is like some days I, yeah, I just want to wear something really basic. Like I was doing a really easy, like I'll say recovery ride, but that would have to imply that I like competed in a race, but a recovery ride for Warren is only 350 Watts. Just, just an average, just that's his, that's yeah. his easy mm -hmm. spin. You know? And I was just like, I don't want to wear uh, 
something too crazy. But, you know, you guys sent us some kit and the one I've been wearing is the, I think it's called the Terrain jersey. And that's the attack kit. I put it on. It was like a morning ride where I was like, oh, this might be a little spicy and I want to, this is, I want to feel spicy. So I just like, I just didn't want to wear like dresses for mood, you know? Exactly. It's like a, my kid is a mood ring. Yeah. You know, if he knows it's a spicy ride and I kind of agree with that, right? That's so we sort of call it here, like the, the Tuesday world champions championships So sort of, sometimes there's some, some rides around Toronto, probably lots of places do it, you know, really fast sort of hammer fest rides. And those are the ones you want to be kind of like out there with. And then, you know, Warren sort of said, sometimes you're on your own little solo ride. We, we have some sort of, uh, sort of places we just do laps kind of not officially closed off to cars, but in the morning there'll be few, and maybe you're on your own. So I feel like I feel like dressing for mood is a really it's, is a really important part of cycling, and also like the type of ride. Like if you're if, if you if you're gonna sh- if you're gonna show up with the legs, you got to show up with the kit. Anyway, I was just saying that. Yeah, I put on that kit, and it just made me feel. I don't want to say more motivated, but it just felt like I was more dressed for the occasion. It did not help me keep up with the the young cyclist who's eleven years younger than me. But you know, I felt like I could. I could try to go back to what you were talking about that kit. I do know you wanted to to mention the plan uh, or uh, a sort of a plan you had for that kit. Yeah. So that's our currently that's like our attack line, which is like our mid-level line. And then we also have uh, something that we always wanted to do, you know, coming from, you know, coming from the fixed gear culture. And, you know, when you're from that uh, art of cycling, it's a lot of people that don't necessarily have a lot of money to like, you know, buy an expensive road bike and then you got to buy a helmet, you got to get shoes, you got to get sunglasses and the list goes on and on and on. And then you're like, oh, I have to have a jersey and bib. What we wanted to to do is we wanted to have a $100 full cycling kit. So, you know, $45 for the jersey, $55 for the bib. And that's just something we wanted to do. And, you know, just because it's $100 doesn't mean that we want it to be, oh, it's just really cheaply made like cycling Amazon kit. Cycling yeah, like kit. something that you get on Amazon and it falls apart after a ride. <laughs> and um, the continuation of that is like, how can we make this better? How can we make this better? So we're actually going to be upgrading our $100 line, which is our, it'll eventually be our attack line. It will eventually be our $100 line. Yeah, it used to be our tempo line. And it, I mean, those fabrics were a little bit, a little bit heavier. Um you know, we always ask ourselves, like, we'll pull something out and be like, and just ask each other, like, would you go for a ride in this tomorrow? You know what I mean? Like what is based on what it's made out of and the weight of it and all that kind of stuff. Our answer to the tempo was yes for a long time, but, but over time you start to feel that kit next to all the other like nicer stuff that you own, you know? And we started to, to really like question it. Like, would we really wear that? And the answer inevitably became no. And then we were like, okay, well then we need to, we need to figure out a way to make our attack line, which was a, a step up from that and, and quite quite a higher price point. We need to figure out a way to make that the, the $100 cycling kit. Because as we all know, the, the barrier to entry to cycling can, can be very high. You know what I mean? Um, and if, we can, and if yeah. we can help a cyclist or anyone getting into the industry to be able to have something you can put on and feel confident and look good in and be breathable. We definitely want to be able to give that to like, uh, like new cyclists and people just getting into the sport. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a, a huge thing to have just in cycling in general. You know, I started kind of road cycling pretty early. Like, I Like you, similar, we talked about the fixed gear stuff. I got a road bike pretty early on into that, but I was a university student, uh, you know, not a lot of money. And to be honest, I've, I haven't sort of made a lot of money throughout my life in, in the way 
the you know some stuff uh, costs in the sport. So always having options because I am an incredibly vain and style focused person. So having just you know I I, I you know we're we're transparent on this podcast. We've been fortunate enough to get some stuff from some great brands. I've been able to make sure I'm stylish always. But you know before that, and for those who don't, having option is is really good. Now this also brings me to a question. And this isn't any, this you're answering for the fashion cycling kit manufacturer, because what you mentioned just made me think of something. So this isn't specific to your brand, but you made me think of it. And the first brand I have to ask the question to inevitably we'll talk about a brand and then someone will say, if we say something really good about them and then someone will DM us or email us and say, that brand is, is garbage. Why are you saying this stuff? The brand is falling apart. I bought this thing. Here's a picture of the seams, whatever. Whatever they say, this is an Amazon thing. Why are you talking so highly? Again, not specific to you guys, about all brands or whatever. What would you say to the customer who buys something from you and they're not happy with the quality? Because I assume some of that's just, you know, whether it's the price point or, or you know, quality control sometimes skips. Maybe they got a thing. What would you say? Should they email you? Should they say to you, Hey, I got this thing and I've noticed it's kind of falling apart a lot earlier than I would expect. I'm not really happy with it. Like what, what's the answer instead of them going on, telling all their friends, telling everybody that X brand is garbage and it's, you know, no better than Amazon. What would you as a kit manufacturer say someone had a, a piece of kit that they weren't happy with the quality of? I think that's a great question. And uh, we're entrepreneurs in, in the fact that we, we own a cycling apparel company, you know what I mean? But we're still consumers at the same time. And, and, and I hate when I buy something, like I bought something from a brand called WTAPS. It's a really expensive Japanese brand. And like the it, the bottom of the shirt just like unraveled, you know? And uh, I wrote to them and they're like, oh, you know what? Unraveled will give you like a 15% off coupon code or something like that. I don't like that as a consumer. You know what I mean? So I've always told Jesse, Jesse really handles like all that incoming uh, questions from from customers. I've always told him like, hey, if, if a seam came undone or whatever it is, and they haven't owned the kit for like three years or something like that, you know what I mean? If, if, if it's happened like more recently, let's get a photo of it. Let's get it back to us. Let's check it out. And then let's just refund them. Let's not, or, or send them out a brand new uh, bib or jersey or whatever it is. We err on the side of the customer being happy as opposed to like the customer is always right. You know what I mean? Uh, I think if the customer is happy, then, then that's... That's like everything to us. We offer a year warranty. Like like I said, we'll just send a new one. Or if they don't like it, I mean, if someone doesn't like something, I don't want them to spend their good earned money on something that they're not happy with. So just, yeah, email us. We'll uh, refund, replace it. But I mean, but I mean, when you're making thousands of pieces, I mean, there might be a faulty zipper. You know, it's just, unfortunately, it's going to happen. It sucks when it's yours. I mean, if it was mine, I would be bummed too. But, you know, we try to just replace it as soon as we can and, yeah. You know, and, and we just tell our customers order with confidence. We're just pe we're people just like you who don't like bad customer service, just like you, you know, we'll take care. Of I mean, that's how I feel a lot too. And when I get these messages or we, you know, we all share the same uh, accounts for, for cycling fashion week. And, and I kind of think like, you know, the, these companies are producing a lot of stuff, things go wrong. I sort of don't, I mean, again, I don't know. Sometimes people feel distant from certain brands. You know, you guys are small, only two people. I know you have your designers, so hopefully people can feel a little more connected to, to contacting you. So maybe feel, feel, feel a little step back. But indicting an entire brand because you had one piece of kit that fell apart a little earlier than you thought or, or something that you didn't expect 
always just seemed wild to me. And especially because if you say like, oh, did you? it always becomes this thing where like, they're almost mad if you say, you know, because like I said, we a lot of times we get stuff and we'll say, oh, no, we've had, you know, that kid, that, that company sent us some stuff or we bought that stuff and we've actually really enjoyed it. And it's like, we're liars, right? Like, oh, like, is it because they sent it to you or something? And you're like, no, we don't, you know, we don't ask for the kit. Like we get it. We'll, we'll, we'll say bad stuff or not bad. You know, we'll say our, our, our truth about it. And I cut your whole say like, did you contact them? Did you say like, again, you said if they, maybe they don't like heavy pedal, they don't want anymore, but you give them money back. Maybe you just say that obviously there's something faulty and, and we can replace it. Like I sort of, for our listeners out there, if you get something and it isn't, you know, seems like there's a quality assurance, quality control issue, contact the brand and just tell them this has gone wrong. Is this something that I should have expected at this point in my ownership of it? We give you permission that after this comes out, you can forward those complaints to us. <laughs> we'll take care of them. After this comes out and stuff like that, someone will write, you know, because it usually happens after we talk about a brand or interview, right? Because we only interview people we like. So usually we speak highly of them. And then that means that we're, we're selling them and then we've, we're, we're actually idiots. They're, the stuff they have is not as good as it used to be or they, I had this fault or whatever. It's it's funny and entertaining for us, but I mean, I think from a consumer perspective, I think people yeah. have to learn to customer service. I think a lot of these brands want to do that. On a bit of a related note, I did want to ask you a bit about your, uh, like how you go about your manufacturing. It's made in China, I think, but using different fabrics and just wondering how you've gone about like picking who you work with and choosing like the manufacturers you want to work with and that kind of thing. We, yeah, we do produce in China. Everything's produced in China currently. Um, we have looked into producing in in Italy and in certain places like that. But just getting the uh, quality plus the ability to have like a good price point, um, this is just where we're at in the stage of our business right now. Kind of like how we, we talk about how like, well, these are the designs we're doing right now because this is what, you know, we're into right now. It's kind of like this is where we're producing right now because this is what we know if if a u.s producer is listening to this podcast and you're like you know let's talk like contact us we'd love to talk to you you know uh same goes for any any other um apparel producer anywhere anywhere in the world but yeah we work with uh two different uh factories right now we get all these like uh, fabric samples and things like that from them or or we might get stuff from like a midi or or, or other companies like that. And then we just request what we want from them. And uh, they will, they'll either give us what we requested or send us back options that are sim similar fabrics inside of that range um, that we can also look at that might not be, they're just as good as fabrics, but maybe not just at the price point because of the brand name of the fabric. So we go to like pretty good extents to, to, to look all that kind of stuff over uh, with, with our factories and and make our decisions from there. Then it's like a whole process of just sampling everything. It can take upwards of to a year just to get the jersey down right or the bib down right because it's like, okay, well, now we want to change this on it. And then you got to sample and then, all right, well, let's make this different. Let's make that different sample again. It can take a, a good amount of time and like, you know, having a factory that you can work closely with that. And we've been with these factories for, you know, eight plus years, I think now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we have a good working relationship. I'm on, I'm on Skype every night, you know, just working away. I think that's sort of an interesting thing. A lot where people talk about, you know, manufacturing, I mean, in anything, but let's sort of, you know, stick to the cycling world and, and places really matter to people's minds, right? It was manufactured. It was made in Italy. It was made in the U S it was made in China and sort of like what that means. But listen, I, I, I wouldn't have known a lot of this until we sort of got into this podcast and sort of the understanding of, of how, the manufacturing works a little bit better and that yes even though it's made in china versus italy like 
it's not like there's one Chinese fabric and one Italian fabric. Like you still have options. You still can, you know, you still get to sample, you still get sample cuts. Like there seems to be, you know, there's a bit of a, a, a stigma around sort of where it's made or a lore around where it's made with kind of this weird assumption that the, the, the location of its manufacturing is like, you know, automatically the quality in what it is. Whereas, you know, you know, I think it's good for our listeners, you know, who obviously are listening to this for fun, but maybe a little bit of information that, yeah, you can manufacture in China and you, it's not like there's Chinese, there's one Chinese textile that you have to use and that's what you're going to use. And they have one, you know, cut pattern. And if you get in Italy, you get there, like you get to go, you know, the manufacturers, you guys, you're going to get samples. You're going to be able to choose what fabrics you want. You're going to be able to choose them at different price points. You're going to be able to choose the patterns or I don't know if you guys supply the patterns, you know, I know there's sort of a varying way companies do it based on their size, but it, it is an interesting sort of thing. I think in cycling, probably more so than a lot of stuff, like the, 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 the place matters so much to people, right? I mean, cask and I love cask helmets, but they put made in Italy or I think Italy made for some reason on their strap, right? Like, you know, and I'm, they're, they're an Italian company, so I know they're proud of that, but it's kind of this thing where sometimes there's a bit of a stigma, but it doesn't mean you can't get great quality out of sort of places all over the world if you're working with the right factories and, and the manufacturers taking their time and their care. Yeah. I, I think if you walk into any of those factories, whether in China or Italy, they're going to be using like Juki sewing machines, the exact same sewing machine, the same finishers, all that kind of stuff, you know, so. These factories, they have everything you could possibly want every fabric every elastic every chamois that you could possibly want they have everything like and some of the u.s manufacturers that we've actually talked to they're like we have three fabrics because they have to buy all these giant rolls of fabric and they have to either get it from china or they have to get it from italy and you know to buy these giant rolls of fabric it costs a lot of money so it's like your options are almost a little bit limited I feel like we've always kind of taken the position. It's just like, we're just m more interested in kit that rides well and is good quality. Like, And we're not anti made in America or anything like that. If we had the opportunity in a factory that would work with us, but a lot of it comes down to price points. Like we can't yeah. all of a sudden be like, oh, and our Jersey costs, you know, twice as much. And, you know, and also our price points jump up quality might not even be reflective of that. So alienate you know, our customer base. Yeah. Yeah. We've sort of talked about it or touched on this a few different times. You talked a lot about price points and I, even your um, higher end stuff is still, you know, comparatively not in the scheme of cycling yeah. kit that expensive. So is accessibility for cyclists something that's important to heavy pedal? Is, is that something you're always keeping in mind? Like with whether it's with that $100 kit you mentioned or still having your higher end stuff be relatively... <laughs> affordable uh is that something that's important to you guys yeah it's important to us it's important to, to me and i think jesse would share the same sentiment just because i come from a low low income family uh you know the way i was brought up was like my mom got us food from food banks and things like that who would i be to then turn around and be like i created this cycling apparel company and i have 300 bibs like you know what i mean like it just doesn't really fit with like the the younger mm -hmm. version of me um and the person that I was growing up. So uh, I, I love accessibility. Uh, we've all been to a, we've all been to a bike shop where like 
you know, the person working at the bike shop was a jerk to us when we were getting started. And, you know, there's like this elitist thing that happens with, with cycling, uh, even between cyclists. Uh, we'd love to end the stigma of all that and, and be able to offer, offer something f- for everyone and never really price gouge. You know, uh, you can put our bibs against anybody's bibs out there for, for performance and comfortability uh, and durability. And I guarantee you, we would rank way up there with the really super expensive stuff. And our price point is still is still very reasonable. Well, I mean, that's a curiosity even within like you're talking about the kit and putting your bibs up against the higher price point. Like I feel like incrementally we're seeing the, you know, bibs of, of the, the, I don't want to say like bigger brand, like they're bigger than you, but you know, major brands, cause it's still all fairly niche. Right. It seems like, I feel like a couple years ago, it's like a kid, it was 210 and then it's 270 and then it's 300 and now it's 350. And like, what I mean, I, I know there's other factors to cost in in manufacturing and the economy and and stuff, but it's it's like what are you getting? Sometimes when I see those prices, I think like what really am I getting for this? Like at, at what point are they just charging it because they can? Right? At what point is, are some of these brands just going? Someone's going to buy this for that price. It's not even different than the thing two years ago that was you know this kit this bib a similar bib was two eighty two years ago. We're doing three fifty this year with the new release. It's the same thing, but someone's going to buy it because that's kind of how it feels. Mm-hmm. At some point, you're not actually getting value for your money. You're just buying. You just think it's better because it's more expensive. I don't know. I mean, let's let's be clear. There's cyclists out there who need to wear the newest and greatest $400 bibs just so that their friends see them wearing that. You know what I mean? And they're like, you know, it's like a it's like a status symbol for, for some. People. Everyone in Girona. <laughs> yeah, it's status symbol. Scottsdale, Arizona is the same way. And, uh, you know, it'd be great if all those people supported uh, local heavy pedal. Uh, but, yeah, you'll see them riding around in, in very expensive stuff. And I get it, you know. Oh, I, I mean, I own lots of expensive kit, too. Uh, not all of it was given to us on, on this podcast. We sort of um, glossed over this question at the beginning just because we kind of dove right into the kit itself. We were hoping to hear you guys talk a bit about the origin of the, of the brand itself. Like, I, I feel like we've been getting a bit of an idea of where you're now, but we'd like to know how Heavy Pedal originally started and how you got to be, uh, I think you said something like 12 years making kit or eight years making kit. I think they're about 12 years. I can answer. Tony's going to answer for you. I mean, I'm going to answer the start just because I had that. We had a, we had a pre-interview just to sort of, you know, talk with the brand and and I had to, you know, I had to once like the name always sounded sort of more familiar than just the sort of more recent Instagram I saw. And then Terrence talked about the, the, the blog. And I realized that was one of my, you know, in web one, right before web two and we all went you know into our, our little the little bubble of web two and instagram where you had to go to each website i i had bookmark tags on my safari browser so when i would get up i would look at different you know different blogs cycling related when i was getting into it when i was in my kind of fixed gear days and heavy pedal was one of them and it took me a second but i sort of it dawned on me and realized i used to sort of look at that and 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 read that you know probably pretty much daily. That's where I'm going to start for Terrence is that it started out as a, uh, a, as a, a, a blog, a fixed gear blog. And then Terrence, you take the rest away. In the, in the fixed gear days, I was, I was a sponsored writer sponsored by a company. And, and one of the stipulations of the sponsorship was that I had to have a blog. 
and talk about and talk about the product. I was on a I was on a ride one day with a bunch of people. I could have swore I heard someone say heavy pedal, and uh, I just loved the name. And I asked, I'm like, did you say heavy pedal? Did you say, like I'm on the ride, like going up and down the, the group, asking like who said that? Because I just thought I heard it. No, no one claimed to have said the words, but I was just like, I, that's what I'm going to call the blog. Like I love the way that sounds because it's like heavy metal and heavy pedal and like you know the bikes are made of like you know steel and all this kind of stuff fixed gear track bikes and stuff like that so uh i I thought it was a really cool like play on words so um yeah i decided to call the blog heavy pedal i was in design school at at that time i think 2009 does that number sound correct to you yeah somewhere around 2009 um and it was like a school project to to make a website and all this kind of stuff. So my friend Victor created the logo. This other guy uh, named Chris uh, was working on the website at the time because um, that was his major. Victor's major was was graphic design. And then so we had the blog up. We started we started writing about fixed gear stuff, and Tony started reading it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, and then people loved the logo that we had at the top because it looked like a scattering of stickers. Uh, so people asked us, like, is that a sticker at the top of your of your website? They would always write into to us. We were like, well, let's make some stickers. And while we're at it, let's make some T-shirts, you know. So we spent like $300, made some stickers and T-shirts, and then they sold out like the same day that we released them. We had like a WordPress website and then like a big cartel <laughs> shopping uh, situation going on. Then we realized, I realized like, oh, there's like something here. Like people are interested you know and um you know as time went on we we make some different t-shirts but then like i started getting into cycling a little bit more everybody was like starting to go from like t-shirt and dickies and like vans to like cycling kits you know road biking was kind of taking off towards the end of the fixed gear thing so we started making we started making cycling uh jerseys and bibs and we were doing that for a little while then we started to make bikes we made uh the zephyr the passage and a bike called the axiom during that time i was actually i actually was in a a lawsuit so we were in a lawsuit for for an entire year where we had to stop sales on the website we had to shut everything down we couldn't have any kind of sales coming through the website so during that time like i had to go and get a different job so i could make sure that everybody could be paid because i wanted to keep the team around everybody everybody that was helping um while while we couldn't make sales Mm -hmm. right so once we got out of the lawsuit which we we ended up being told that we would win the lawsuit but it doesn't really go like that they go like we the judge goes uh terrence is going to win this lawsuit uh you guys are going to have to continue to fight unless you want to you guys come to some kind of terms and strike some kind of deal so we end up having to strike a deal so i don't necessarily win the lawsuit but i end up okay and then the company that tried that attempted to sue us went bankrupt the the following year and and we had our best year ever that year so um, that felt really good but making bikes was a was a humongous pain in the butt because it's a headache. It was a headache. We you you had to order the bikes. You we were pre-selling them so that we could we could kind of like offset the overall cost of like um, container shipping and, and buying in bulk and stuff like that. And around the time that we were getting started in the bikes, we were having tons of strikes at the ports in the United States. So we were selling all these bikes pre-sell. They were at the port, but we couldn't get them. Our customers were mad. It was just a big, really big headache. And I think if you're if you're gonna like import bikes you you probably really su- need to super be into like importing you know what i mean like just import export kind of stuff which like i was kind of winging it you know but but cycling apparel is always easy because we we order in in such a bulk that it can still come on an airplane which was super easy so we pivoted to apparel 
uh, in time, we dropped the blog because it's a lot, it's a lot to keep up with. And then we just ended up becoming a product and really just focusing on heavy pedal as a cycling apparel brand. And also just not this niche fixed gear company, like in getting into gravel, getting into road and, you know, mountain bike. And, you know, we didn't want to just be this like, oh, we're only this one thing. And that took, I would say that probably took like three years to break that stigma. Cause I'd mm-hmm. even have a lot of like roadie cyclists in Phoenix at the group rides. They're like, Oh, heavy pedal. That's that, like, that's that fixie brand. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of people didn't want to buy from us. Cause they thought like, Oh, that's just that fixed gear company. So it took, it took a couple of years and like, and a lot of like deliberate work to try to like break that stigma. You know, we want to just be apparel. Like anyone can wear a Jersey. Anyone can wear a t-shirt or a hat. Well, I mean, our good friend Dustin Klein would say that a bike is just a tool. And so whether you're riding a fixed bike, a gravel, a road, a mountain bike, you know, we're all the same. We're all just riding bikes. So nothing, you know, nothing wrong with staying true to the fixed gear roots, but everyone should know that, you know, they could, if they're a roadie, they can wear heavy pedal. If they're a mountain biker, they can wear heavy pedal. I don't know. I don't know if you guys agree. Can an e-biker wear heavy pedal? Are we okay with an e-biker wearing heavy pedal? Sure, man. If you're on two wheels, let's do it. I think if you're on a motorcycle, I don't know if Lycra is the best choice. Two wheels that are not powered with a combustion engine. What's uh, next for heavy pedal moving forward? I, I know you you recently did a a, a collaboration with uh, Liquid Death. The uh, I think they call themselves Mountain Water, um, and you've done some with like uh, I think uh, Pit Viper sunglasses in the past. Like, is that? something you're going to do more of, or is there other things you have planned for the future? Now, now I'm answering the question for you. We're just curious of sort of what, what's next for, for the brand. We we've done things that we can't talk about as well, just for non-disclosure agreements, which I think that that's, those are like bigger projects and pretty cool. Um, but some things that we do have coming up is we're going to do the volume three of the liquid death. So the collaboration yeah. will continue on. Um, we have a big, another big, uh, partnership with Pit Viper that's, that's going to continue. And then I would say probably um, we have a lot of really cool artist collaborations that are, some have already been designed, some are half designed, some are just being started. I think like the artist collabs are a lot of fun just because it brings in like this new, fresh perspective that we might not normally do. So, and then I, I really, I mean, Terrence too, we just enjoy like the hunt of like trying to find a designer that's has nothing to do with cycling, but you're like, oh, I think their artwork would translate really well it'd be super different no one else has anything like it but i think still make a really cool cycling jersey and then i'll i'll send over the profile to terrence and then sometimes he'll just laugh at me and he's like i don't see this at all this is this is this is terrible and then sometimes we're like oh yeah we immediately are like yeah message this person and then sometimes they're like oh we'll do it but it's going to be ten thousand dollars for a jersey design then we're like all right well thanks for your time it's a lot of fun on, on our end and then also you know we do a lot of custom work for different teams coffee shops, uh, stores, bicycle clubs, um, breweries, breweries. I mean, so those are always like really fun projects too. Cause then you get to get completely out of your element. You're like, all right, how do we make your coffee shop or your cycling shop? How do we make, how do we make a shop kit that like represents you and what you're doing, you know? So then sometimes we get to do really cool things that we normally wouldn't do ourselves that way. Yeah, I was really excited with the custom thing. And then you know, I said you used to do a five kit minimum, which would have been perfect for CFW because with our guest host, Skylar and Alex were five. Uh, and now you do a 10 kit minimum. Now, 
we, I think we've been clear here at Cycling Fashion Week. We aren't here to make any money off of this thing. We don't want to sell people stuff. We're never going to have a Patreon or ask for sponsorship money. So it's out of the question for us to sell something. But I guess I'm thinking maybe if we have like five listeners that are just so obsessed with Cycling Fashion Week, we'll do a 10-kit order with you guys in the custom and get that minimum and get a heavy pedal Cycling Fashion Week kit. Yeah. You know, maybe down the pipeline, but maybe, maybe I'm putting that out in the ether. Maybe we have some super fans. I don't, you know... Fan seems like a weird word. The listeners, super listeners who would say I, I would wear a CFW kit, but we'll never produce one for mass sale. But, you know, we could we could think of something. That was Tony's way of asking you about your custom program. So let me tell you the situation, how we would make that happen. <laughs> um, so basically to make your amazing cycling fashion week, uh, cycling jersey or kit, or if you wanted wind vests, skin suits, you know, any products, anything that we make, we do custom. So basically for like a situation for like what you're doing, you know, you'd come to us, you're like, Hey, I got this idea. I really want to make something. I have a good following. We, there's a couple different ways we could do it. We could design something for you custom and then show you the design, you approve it and then you would order bulk from us and then it'd be up to you to distribute. But another way, and what most people like to do is we would then, you know, still design, get everything ready. And then we would create a web store for you. So then you could just promote it. It costs you $0. It's not going to cost you a penny. You can just tell all your followers like, hey, check out this cool jersey we're selling. Here's the link. People go to the link. They go to our store. They order it. We do like a two-week pre-order. Then we handle all the manufacturing, shipping, customer service. Once everything arrives, we would ship everything to them. And then you'd also have two options. You're like, do I just want everyone to have these for the cheapest price possible? And we would give you the bulk price and everyone could order it for like, you know, $60 a jersey or whatever. Or, you know, being a big capitalist and wanting to make a whole lot of money from your podcast, people would order it at full price and then we would cut you a check at the end for all the profits. I'm changing my mind, Tony. I, I want to make lots of profits and money. Yeah, you want to make lots of money off this podcast? Yeah. You want to have another another Patreon, another, another blog with a... a I don't know if Patreon's still going. I don't know what people use. OnlyFans? Warren wants some $400 bids. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. for you, just for Cycling Fashion Week, we are going to sell our bibs for $400. Yeah, See, sorry. that's perfect. That's what yeah. we need. It's It's, it's got to be more expensive than it needs to be. So it'll be... And you know what? Let's make the jersey $310. Perfect. Same jersey we normally make. Nothing, nothing different. Exactly. A $700 kit. I love it. And you'll deal with Jesse directly. It'll be Jesse. So if you feel like since Jesse's on a podcast, he's famous, you'll be talking <laughs> to a famous person. We, we also produce stuff white labeled that no one knows that Heavy Pedal makes it. So you, it, it's, it's possible that some people could have something in their closet already that, that we made. It just says the different brands logos on it. Who, who made this Cancer Ride jersey? Trust me, it wasn't Heavy Pedal by the look of those Cancer Ride jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't canal Cancer Rides, Tony. I won't get out cancer eyes, but I do want to say that Warren and I did one in the Toronto area and my whatever, I don't know who made the jersey, so I can't I can't canal them, but the jersey was ripped by the end of my ride. Like they give you one, like, you know, they give you one so everyone looks the same or whatever. And it actually wasn't, it was like the design was nice. I thought, oh, that's not that bad. And then by the end of the, and I didn't crash or anything. I don't even know how it ripped. It might have been me putting something in my pocket. But it was like ripped by the by the like hundred k. By the time I got back, I like one of the pockets was like falling off. I was like, I know, I know who made it. I'm not. No, 
again, and like we talked about, if I if I really wanted to deal with it, I wouldn't just complain on my my uh, popular podcast. I would contact them and say there was an issue. Now, because it was kind of a free jersey and wasn't something I'd probably wear anyways, we just let it pass. Tony, I think that that's important though, because like we we've been trying to get. Um an account for a long time of, of someone that we work with um, to make their like actual main jerseys, you know? Now we want to move on to the rapid fire section of this interview. If you guys are, are good with that. Let's do yeah. it. Okay. Tea, coffee, or liquid death? Liquid death. Coffee. Going coffee. You can make coffee with liquid death, Ooh. but you can't make liquid death with coffee. Dang. Oh. Road or gravel? Or fixed. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go road in my old age. I don't know if I can ride a fixed gear for very long. I want to say gravel, but I feel it's like it's kind of like having dessert. You don't get to do it that often, so it's a little bit more of a treat. But every day, like I would say, road. Is there a lot of gravel out in Arizona? Out of curiosity, because in Toronto, we have to. If we want to do gravel, we got to drive somewhere. There's some great places, especially like the whole. So Phoenix is just super flat, but then it's just surrounded by mountains. Oh, okay. so a lot of open desert trails and. I mean, if you go to our Instagram, most of our photo shoots are all in Arizona. Carbon, steel, aluminum, or titanium? Uh, Since I'm not at my fighting weight, uh, I like carbon, so that I'm just a little lighter, you know? Yeah, I'm going to go carbon. Steel for a track bike, carbon for a road bike, and titanium if anyone wants to send me one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's us too, just so everyone knows. It's only four. Four titanium bikes is all we need to get this. Yeah, exactly. Next year, we'll we'll talk about. We'll yeah, we'll talk about you on the podcast. Maybe you'll 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 post some photos riding the titanium bike. They'll they'll get their press first. Worth it. So I also want to know why Warren changed the wording of this next question. Did I? Well, because we used to say white or black shoes, and then you said favorite color shoes. Are we just trying to put it out there? I'm going to go with the new stuff. Favorite color shoes. White. White. This again used to say white or black socks, but now we're giving we're giving the the, the world's our our uh, our guests oyster now, so they don't have to choose white or black; they can choose any favorite color socks. You're going to be disappointed with us, white roadie scum, white all the way. We're never disappointed with no. white shoes, white socks. In our recent uh, uh, new new you know Instagram sort of segment, the Spandex Sundays. I noticed that every single person who submitted, regardless of what their kid was, had white shoes, white socks on. It's pro. pro. Yeah. Do you have a favorite color kit, whether it's, or your favorite design, maybe, whether it's yours or, or just a general color? My favorite thing right now is if I, I'm sure you can find it on our Instagram, but it's the bloom Jersey with the Brown coffee bibs, something about that whole combination. And I'm just proud when I see that. I'm always a all black, a sucker for all black, but I have been trying to wear more, uh, more bright and colorful jerseys as well. Jesse's murdered out when he's on the road. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's going to a funeral. I still have some all black just when I'm feeling that, when I'm feeling that way, when that that, that mood strikes me, because that's how we dress for mood. And what about the best place you you've ever ridden? And you can say Arizona because we hear it's pretty good. It's pretty good, but I, I, just one of the, my my favorite times on the bike. I, I did that road call, that ride called Ragbri. I think it's through like Iowa or something like that. The Register's annual Ragbri. Uh, it's like a multi day ride, and then they like take your tent to the next location and set them all out. And there's like hundreds, probably thousands of people on the ride. It was just really cool because I you got to ride through very small towns. You got to help like the economy in those areas because there you know, there's a huge influx of people. It was just really cool. That was my favorite ride I've ever done. 
And then I'm going to go with uh, Costa Rica with the Puerto Vida Foundation. And uh, it was like a five-day bike ride just all in the mountains. Every day was like, it might be like 50 miles, but it's like 10,000 feet of climbing. Everything there is just straight up, straight down. And you got to ride with all these locals. And we actually made uh, cycling jerseys for the club down there. So that was a pretty cool thing. And it's like a charity thing. So we bring down equipment and all that kind of stuff. But the riding was just incredible. Also shout out uh, AIDS Life Cycle because uh, yeah. Jesse does that every year. Yeah, too. also AIDS Life Cycle. That's like right behind it. That's uh, San Francisco to Los Angeles. This will be my sixth year riding in it. I think maybe I would be more into charity rides if I lived in the States. I mean, I guess you're saying Costa Rica, but like... Everything sounds like that sounds so much more interesting, like San Francisco to LA ride. I'd like to do that instead of like another loop of cottage country, Ontario. So, I mean, not, not, not our fault, you know, not, not, not the, to Niagara Falls. Yeah. Not the Canadian ch- charity rides just start going to the States, but it's definitely, I never feel like compelled by the actual ride. I mean, I've done some charity rides for cancer because it's, you know, I think everyone, something that hits close to home uh, with some family stuff, but. I used to work for them. Too. Yeah, in terms, but in terms of the actual like ride itself, I was like, eh, I could do this on a Tuesday. It sounds a lot more interesting. And I think your cottage rides sound more interesting to us. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds awesome. Yeah. So we have a. Uh, I would say it's our most fa- famous segment. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's what it's really what people come for. It's called Into the Canal, uh, and it's where we throw something of the cycling world. It can be anything, really. Just an opinion that you throw into the Montreal's Lachine Canal uh, to sort of forever be gone. I don't want this to exist. And now because we're uh, equal opportunity people, we wanted to have a positive side for those who aren't as negative as as us, you know, the host of Cycling Fashion Week. We have what's called a Camillian, which is named after Camillian, uh, the hardest climb in the world, which is up the side of Montreal's Mount Royal. Uh, it's about, it's all, what would you say, Warren? It's almost a three, a, a, what, four minute climb? Five minute climb? I forget how long. Russ, it's more like four or five. Yeah, it's a hard climb though. Really hard. You, most people can't do it. Mm-hmm, uh, so anyways, yeah, we want to give our guests the opportunity to either throw something in, into the canal, give a chameleon, or do both. What do you guys got for us? I mean, I think the canal is the $350 uh, cycling bib. Mm-hmm. Get rid of those. You don't need it. I would like to throw the... Uh... The, the rude bike shop worker to the new cyclist, throw them in the canal too. <laughs> yeah, I have a story about that where I was I was kind of coming back from, from some time off cycling and my road bike was definitely sort of at the end of its life and I was, uh, I was not working that much at the time and I was a little tight on budget, but not actually as tight as I told them. Anyways, I walked into a shop, I saw a bike and I said, you know, there's my budget. Oh, I like this. They said, oh, it's it's, it's not built. I, I went to test ride. Oh, it's not built up. Can you come back tomorrow? We'll build it. I came back again. It's not built up. Can you come back tomorrow? I'll build it. And they just like, were just like so scoffed at me, right? I was really super willing to spend my money. You know, I just wanted to fight, you know, one time around the block just to make sure that I felt comfortable. They didn't do it. I went to another shop. They were much, much friendlier to me. And then eventually I did get some money to buy. I think most people in the world consider quite an expensive bike. And I made sure to sort of, you know, not buy from that previous shop just because the guy wouldn't spend, you know, five minutes being nice to me when I was trying to, trying to give him money. I was actively yeah. trying you know, he didn't have to sell me on anything. I told him the budget and then they did have a little bit more expensive bike already built. And I kind of was like, well, you know, what am I going to get for my extra few hundred dollars here? And the guy was just like, I don't know. And I was like, I'm making this the easiest sale of your up sale of your life. You tell me that I'll go five kilometers faster and lie to me and I'll buy this more expensive bike. 
but the guy was so uninterested because my price point was in more in like the couple thousand range than the 10,000 that he was just like, I was like, all right, screw people. And I don't think I've ever shopped the shops in, in my neighborhood, like blocks away from me. And I, I haven't bought a single thing from them since then. And now I'm a world famous podcaster. I won't name them because that's just a bit rude, but I'm stealing your canal chameleon time, but I, I like to tell stories. The chameleon, is that a good thing? Is that what that is? I didn't. That's a good that. thing. That's something you like. I'd say group rides, go on as many group rides, even if it's not like a, like a big established group ride, just call some friends, get together and go out on the weekend, go out on the evening, in the morning, just whenever your friends are available. I mean, cause that's like why we cycle. It's all community. You know, yep. so like, why even ride your bike if you can't do it with uh, the people you like to hang out with? Do the chameleon to people like starting stuff, like starting a weekly ride or, you know, trying, yeah. just trying to get people involved because it takes that person to gain the momentum to, to get more people on bikes. So chameleon to them. And give a little wave if you see someone else riding their bike. It's not, it's not that hard. Oh yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks guys. Those are both solid canals and chameleons that I, I, th- I think we support. And yeah, thanks so much for coming on uh, Cycling Fashion Week, Terrence and Jesse. It was great to hear more about heavy pedal. We, you know, we're we're trying to bring some light to some of the smaller brands out there as well, and not just talk about four hundred dollar bibs. So we, though, I think we did a bit. <laughs> thanks a lot, guys, for for coming on the show today. Thanks for yeah, having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, what are you doing? I don't know, I'm just fucking tossing bikes in the river, bro. Okay, next segment, flagship segment, Into the Canal, where we throw something that we don't like from the world of cycling or cycling fashion into Montreal's La Chine Canal. You gotta start thinking, though, to throw stuff in that Girona River um, on top of that bridge where all the influencers are. But anyway, for the time being, it'll remain the canal. You can also have a camelien so, to, to really commend something that we appreciate from the world of cycling or cycling fashion, if we feel that we're being too negative, it's always a nice option to have. Okay, who wants to start this week with a canal or a camelier? I got a canal. Well, first of all, I'd love to throw just the idea of an influencer being like a full-time job into the canal. Every time I say the word influencer, I cringe myself. And even though I've now said it twice in the last 10 seconds, I just want to like stop saying it and stop thinking about them for a little while and just, you know, no shame to people who enjoy photo- photography while they ride their bike, but that word, that thing, I'm going to kind of move on. I need like a mental break. So my true canal for this episode is bike shops letting you leave like that because I'm saying I'm seeing people out there. They've got expensive bikes, right? I'm not talking to riding your commuter, thing like that. This thing does not fit. It's the wrong size. It's got 18, you know, 18 spacers on the steer tube. The seat's got half an inch up from the, the top tube. They're out there. $4,000, $5,000 bike, specialized, you know, uh, BMC, all these things. Flat pedal shoes, no clipless, you know, no jersey, no bibs, helmet with visor, no sunglasses. And not only, I mean, it's an atrocious thing to let have the rest of the cycling world see you. But I'm thinking from the benefit of the the shop, right? Everyone's saying the little bike, you know, the local bike shop is dying. Where's the upsale, right? You've got someone in there. You've already reeled them in with a bike that is way more than they need to spend. Somehow you suckered them into spending five grand when they should have a, a, a you know, an old '92 Peugeot 10 speed. So you've reeled them into a to a specialized, a carbon specialized with an Altegra on it can't you just sell, you know, what's another few hundred bucks on uh, some kid, a, you know, a pair of shoes, 
Uh, Clipless, I'm not saying it has to be top of the line. I'm not saying it has to be the best stuff. But just say, listen, you've already, you are going 5,000 into this bike. You might as well grab this, have these shoes and these pedals. That's another 400, whatever. So, yeah, I'm throwing bike shops essentially in the canal for, for first off, get them the bike fit. When they come in, that should be supplied or whatever, upsell them. Say, you know, you're buying this bike for 150, we do a bike fit and just tell them how great and it'll make their riding experience amazing. When really it's for me as an observer of these other cyclists to not see just the most atrocious fitting bikes with just, you know, essentially a, a cruiser, a beach cruiser comfort on a road bike is ridiculous. And then get them in there, sell them the kit, sell it, sell, 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 ABC. Always be closing. Do we think, question for you, do we think bike shops, and I mean, I don't want to speak ill of bike shops. I think they they serve a great purpose in our, our communities. They provide mechanical services. They can be a, a sort of a meeting point for the cycling community as well. So I love bike shops, believe in bike shops, support your local bike shop. However, do we think that, there's some bike shops out there that are legitimately selling bikes to people that don't fit them and that they know don't fit them just because they want to move it off their inventory. Yes. Yes. When I bought my first road bike, I had an interesting experience where the first shop I went to wouldn't sell me the bike because they were convinced it was too small for me. The size they, they had, it was like a size 56 or something. And they said it was too small and I needed 58 and they were out of stock. So they're like, you know what? We, we really don't want to... You do not need a 58. Yeah. No, I know I don't. So here's where I'm going is they wouldn't sell me a 56. So, you know, me not really knowing what I was doing, I'd only been riding like commuter bike my whole life. I was like, oh, okay, I'll look for a 58. And I found another one, another shop not too far away. They sold me a 58 without hesitation. They gave me a quote unquote fit, which was really to just like put my pedals on the bike and maybe take out a spacer because... Uh, it was propped up pretty high. Um, anyway, you know, I rode that bike for, God, I don't know, four or five years. And that was your yeah, CAD, right? Yeah, it was, it was definitely too big for me. Way it wasn't too big. So big that I couldn't ride it, obviously. But I was like, I was higher up. I mean, the CAD's fairly aggressive, but I was higher up. I think the bars were even wider than I needed. Like I started to adjust things as I realized it wasn't quite the right fit for me, but they, my first bike fully was not the right size for me, but it was funny because one shop was convinced I needed a bigger one. And I think it's mainly, they were worried about selling me a really a aggressive racy position. Like I was like, this feels fine. I'll buy it. And they're like, no, we think you should do a 58. And it's funny if I bought that 56, maybe I'd still be riding it. I do think that a lot of bike shops lean large on size yeah. in oh, general. Sure. Like they'll generally go bigger size they don't understand that smaller frame with longer stem, higher seat posts is just more pro. I didn't realize my sizing because I have I'm I'm tall, but I have kind of interesting body proportions. I want to give a shout out to a shop just up the street from where I live, and one that is a dealer of our good friend David's uh, Chapter Three brand, Racer Sportif uh, in Bloor West Village. I think they also have an Oakville. I also, as a tall guy, was always sort of sold a 58, and it made sense to everyone. It still makes sense to people when they see me. They think I'm supposed to ride a 58. And so I had a 58 as my first road bike. And again, it kind of fit me, but it always felt like a little bit off. And I was buying a new road bike, and I always just I just thought it was 58, right? Someone tells you, you know, you're, you're six foot two, six foot three, you got to have a 58, maybe even bigger and stuff. And I walked into Racers, and I said to them, you know, I was looking for not something too expensive. I was kind of coming back into the sport after a year or two off, and my old bike had 
had sort of, you know, done its time. And so I kind of said, yeah, I'm looking for this, everything in 58. And the guy looked at me and, and, and again, kudos to him. He said, you're not a 58. And I said, what are you talking about? Right? Like, that's what everyone's told me. He said, he said, you're like a 56 and max. You've got long, you've got long legs, but like a short torso and not that long arms. Like you're not, you're going to be stretched out. You just jack up the seat. So he sold me a 56 on a, on a, I think it was like a, it was a Scott Speedster 105 something. Uh, nice bike actually for the price and, and really did me well until I got my, you know, other bike. But then subsequently when I bought, I bought new bikes, uh, obviously the Marinoni just to be repetitive is custom made, but the Cat X, the 56 and stuff, I realized like I just wasn't told they would. And I think this, I don't think the shops are trying to misguide me. I think they just didn't have the knowledge. They say, how tall are you? Six foot two. That's a tall person's bike or, or getting sort of towards it. But my body proportions meant that I just have a jacked up seat and I don't have, need a long top tube. So I think may, I'm throwing them in the canal, but maybe also I've got to throw them in the canal for their lack of understanding of how bikes are supposed to fit the individual. I think that's part of the problem and why a lot of people end up out there riding what you're describing, because most bike shops don't have a real quote unquote fitter and they, they advertise and they sell a fit, but it's usually just really a sizing to putting your pedals on. Yeah. Put your pedals on, adjust your saddle, a real bike fit, like that all three of us have had to get our custom bikes is not what most bike shops are offering, you know? So I think they just, yeah, they're just selling stuff and doing their best to size it. And, you know, I do want to say that I think there are probably some customers who are like, just like, no, I want this. I'm telling you, this is what I want. And they're probably ignoring good advice from, but you know, cause there could be somebody who went to say a racer sportif. It's like, no, I'm a 58. Sell me that. And they might sell it anyway. So it's hard to know, but I think it's the reality is I think most bike shops out there don't have real fitters on staff. They have teenagers and mechanics. It's not a great excuse with the internet now, right? Like you could, I mean, again, you're not going to get no, that I, professional fitting that, you know, blacksmith offers or, uh, you know, Marinoni itself offers or some of these more boutique shops, but they should be able to sort of do enough research if you're going to offer any type of bike fit or just be a bike shop that's selling road bikes to kind of understand like what sort of works and like what it really means. Cause I think it's also a problem with the sizing of the bike, right? The sizing is just based on the top tube length. So you're 54, 56, 58, 55, 61 or whatever. Like it's, there's so many other factors to the size of a bike, but for some reason, like that's our size. Okay. Hear me out. An AI chatbot that knows all the fits and the sizes of every bike company, Chad GPT for bike fits. You go to bikegpt.com and you ask, Hey, I'm, I want to buy, you know, some dentist Cervelo expensive S S five S three, whatever it's called with that ugly stem in the front. I want to buy this. I'm five eleven. My legs are that long. My arms are, and it tells you, you need to get a 55 centimeter bike and lift the seat post. Excellent. That, that would be a killer thing. Oh, that would be absolutely amazing. I mean, I think you can do that with uh chat GPT right now. Actually, let's find out. Give me one sec. Okay. So I definitely think you're onto something because chat GPT is basically doing exactly what we're criticizing bike shops for. If any of our listeners have used it, you basically know it just consolidates all of this information and just gives you kind of a, it's kind of like GCN to be honest, like the GCN show. It's just like, they'll never commit to an opinion. It's like, here's all the information. You could go this way or you could go that way. There are great options either way. 
yeah, that's pretty much my experience with chat GPT. Middle, middle of the road chat GPT. 105 is a great group set, but if you have the money, Ace is premium. Yeah. GCN GPT. Yeah. Yeah. Chat GCN? Yeah, there you go. That's better. Anyway, it basically just said, based on your, I put in my height of six foot, it's for someone who's six foot tall, a bike with a frame size of around 56 to 58 centimeters should be a good starting point. But it does say, keep in mind, this is a rough estimate and it's crucial to consider other factors like inseam, torso, blah, 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 blah. It's like ChatGPT is afraid of getting sued almost. This is, ChatGPT is like the anti-cycling fashion. Like we like, we have hard takes and we don't worry about facts. And ChatGPT is just soft. You could do this, you could do that, maybe this, that, and the other. We should ask ChatGPT, what's the best global destination for bike influencers? We're not going to have a whole ChatGPT episode. Girona is a great destination, but you might prefer Mallorca. Mallorca. Yeah. Nobody steal the bike GPT thing because in between when we were recording this and when the episode comes live, we're going to have uh, trademarked that idea. Yeah. So. We have no uh, coding skills whatsoever. CFWGPT.com. Okay, I'm going to go with my canal. Spring is here. It's beautiful out there. Little flowers all over the place. It's getting green. It's getting sunny. And the summer is coming. And this is the season that people take bike trips, that they go away. They go somewhere on vacation. Some people, the influencers, will all fly to Girona, but other people will go with their cars, they'll go camping, they'll bring their gravel bikes or whatever it is. I have a take on bike racks for your car. I am going to canal bike racks that go in the back of your car, and I'm going to canal bike racks that go on the roof of your car. It is just so much more pro to have a bike rack on the roof of your car than to have it in the back of your car. I don't know why... It, it's just it's just ugly in the back of your car, and I always get one. I always get worried that someone kind of rear ends you, and you, you get bumped, and then your bike gets trashed, and your expensive carbon wheels get trashed. And on on top of your bike, it's just a lot more like cars in in the pro tour. It just looks a lot better. So if you have a bike rack that goes on the back of your car, you're in the canal. Well, you answered your own question because uh, the reason it looks better is because it's on the pro tour. And I would agree with you. It looks much better. And I mean, the the because it looks better, the risk is 100% worth it. But I have, you know, we, there's many uh, photos out there. And I, I know some stories personally of people forgetting about it and driving into, a, a, a you know, an underground garage or a low, you know. No, that, uh, I, don't that. I, I, yes, I don't believe I don't believe Yes, that. yes. Yes, it has. It happens. I, I mean, I don't think it's like common, you know, but I mean, they're easy to sort of forget up there. But they do look way better. And I actually would say I've always felt they're like more stable whenever I've used them. Like there's just – I don't know if the, it's – you know, the ones in the back. I mean if they're a trailer top, hitch one. Way more stable. Now, on the top though, there's there's the ones that you remove the front wheel that you literally kind of, you know, attach it to your bike rack with the um, – either with the quick release or with the through axle. So these are very, very solid. Now, there's the ones like they have in the Pro Tour – where the front wheel is still on. And these ones actually, despite the fact that they're in the Pro Tour, they look a little more wobbly, I find, when the car turns or hits a bump or something. Like the bikes move a little bit. That makes me a bit nervous. But the ones that you attach with the, the through axle or the quick release, these ones are, are good. I don't have much to add. I agree with Tony. Yes, the roof racks are much more aesthetically uh, pleasing. But as somebody who owns a a rear whatever bike rack in the canal it's actually quite quite practical works really well but you also in fairness to yourself 
but we're not about practicality here. No, exactly. And you bought that prior to owning your own car. Like, so it did make more sense because you knew you'd be sort of transferring as you rented or borrowed or whatever. But once you buy your own car, which you do have now, like then you got to go roof rack. I, I, I bought a car. I'd, I'd go hitch rack myself. That's a mountain bike thing though. That's like what mountain bikers do. Like, like you let a big agree. mountain bike into you. Like the hitch rack is the ultimate mountain bike. The ultimate, it's like the sign of the mountain bike. So now that I own a car, which is I think Warren and I got our cars about the same time, showing we're uh, getting lazy and old buying cars. Yeah, I think I'll have to I'll have to go for a roof rack as well. But in the meantime, I'll borrow your rear rack uh, when I need to go somewhere. <laughs> but if you get a hitch rack, if you get a hitch rack, you might as well put your your Santa Cruz uh, mountain bike on it. The hitch rack is so craft beer, indie rock, mountain bike. Like it, 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 I will not participate in analyzing the psychology of, of a hitch rack. I listen. We go pretty deep on this, but I, I'm just I don't I don't subscribe to that. I think a hitch rack is a perfectly practical. Yeah, four rack. mountain bikers, four people who mountain bike is a perfectly practical thing for elite road cyclists. It's a roof rack. Okay. You know what's really pro and kind of a flex too is to leave your roof rack on even when your bike's not there so that you lose out on aerodynamics and you spend more on gas on the highway. I find that's that's really pro and kind of a flex. I would disagree with that. To me, that's like leaving your your lights, your bike lights on your bike in the middle of the day. I do that for safety reasons. Now that I'm a dad, I'm a daytime uh, running light guy just to, just to throw that in there. But what about... What about what? What do we think about the seersucker racks, especially if they're on like a like a like a Porsche Carrera or like a Porsche Nine Eleven? I think they're called oh sea sucker, so seersucker, the another material. Sea sucker, seersucker is the preppy. Uh, preppy yeah, guy. no, I got that. See, see, I was looking at some uh, bathing suits recently. Um, the sea sucker ones that are the suction cup or whatever, and then you see people because you can put that on any any car, and sometimes you'll see. I don't know if anyone actually practically uses that. I've never seen it in, the, in in the wild, but you'll see like photos on Instagram of people putting them on like a like a vintage yeah. Porsche Carrera, and it's just the I think it's like the best thing ever. That would make me very nervous. Yeah, but if if you if you've got your vintage Porsche Carrera with your sea sucker and your like you know uh, number twenty two bike on it, are you worried about any money? If you have a vintage Porsche Carrera, presumably you've got another more utilitarian car that you can use for your bike trips. I mean, I I don't think you're going on a bike trip with a Porsche Carrera. Utilitarian, Alex. That sounds yeah. Like that sounds practical. That's another car. word for practical. So that's actually funny because I, you know, I I know I I might have a reputation as a it's kind of a snob as a result of this podcast, but as far as cars, I'm extremely utilitarian. I want the best all-wheel drive in the snow. I don't want anything flashy or fancy. I just want something that gets me from point A to point B that has a lot of cargo space and good all-wheel drive. If you really felt that way, you'd drive a Honda Civic, which you don't. I have a Subaru Outback, which unfortunately- Which is pretty craft beer, which is pretty, pretty craft, craft beer. beer. It's, it's pretty, very craft it's beer. pretty outdoorsy hitch rack, although they have the integrated bars on the roof rack, so you kind of have to have a roof rack with a Subaru Outback, but I agree that it's pretty craft beer, Vermont, New Hampshire. That's for going to the ski chalet and then drinking craft beer. After- Our listeners thought you had a Volvo and they're just devastated. I used to have a Volvo, but- you you know for our listeners that are in in New England and they'll they'll understand that for sure. I, so I have a place in the Eastern Townships on the border with Vermont. You drive around Vermont and New Hampshire, at least eighty percent of the cars there are Subaru Outbacks. It's literally all they have. Uh, next up is Warren. What do you got this week, Warren? 
I'm going to give a chameleon this week, and it it's actually just sort of reinforcing Italian Alex's chameleon from last episode where he he gave a chameleon to Purple Bibs, and I said that I was a little skeptical and I wasn't sure, but I am going to give them a chameleon because our guests of this episode, Heavy Pedal, were kind enough to send me uh, a kit that includes purple bibs so they sent me their the jersey it's kind of like a cream colored jersey with like pretty uh wild pattern design kind of all over the place called the mirage blocks jersey and they sent that along with the they're just plum blocks bib which are plum but i mean i'd say they're purple anyway i was wearing that today when i was out for a short ride after work just to uh spin the legs a little bit and I got to say, I at first I was a little self-conscious, but I got a couple positive head turns. Well, I'm going to say there were positive head turns wearing that kit, riding around, because I got to say, purple bibs, they're, they're pretty eye-catching. And, you know, I, I'll i post a photo uh, either when we post this episode or maybe on the next Spandex Sunday showing showing the, the kit off. But I, I thought it looked pretty good. And uh, yeah, I felt uh, felt pretty good. You know, it wouldn't, as as we often say, wouldn't be your everyday kit. Uh, I was actually thinking of saving it for our Fast Friday ride, but I wore it today just because I basically wanted to be able to talk about it when we recorded. Um, it's definitely not something I would wear every day, but I'd save it for kind of the the fast, uh, faster rides, the Tuesday Night World Championships, that kind of thing. You look good, Warren, because you're you always look good. But I I don't get this obsession with purple bibs. They're fine. I don't know. I wouldn't wear them. They're not that exciting. No, I, I like them. I, I agree. I think it's a cool look. I have a pair of eggplant bibs, which is kind of almost like purple, but more. It's all food-based. Plum and eggplant. What else we got? What other f- purple foods can you name your bibs? Grapes. Um, blueberry. <laughs> I don't know. But I have eggplant bibs. They're actually gravel cargo bibs, which is very off-brand for me, too. Not, not that we know you have a Subaru. It's very on-brand. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, our friends at Ostroy, the New York City brand Ostroy, kind of fun designs. And I love the eggplant bibs. They're they're a bit hard to match with other stuff, but they look great with a white jersey. Um, I've actually been pairing them with a sage jersey from MAP, which I find, mm-hmm. you know, is actually a good combo. And I also pair them with my white uh, Ukrainian Vishivanka jersey from Q36.5, which looks pretty good. In the spirit of matching, uh, mixing and matching brands, we're fans of that too. So no, I'm all in on the purple, uh, purple tone, the bibs worn. Okay. That's it for another episode of cycling fashion week. Thank you to our special guests, Terrence and Jesse from heavy pedal. They were kind enough to come on the show, tell their story about their brand and everything. So check them out. Heavy pedal, great brand out of Arizona in the United States of America. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Tony, who has been back on the show. Uh, Thank you, Italian Alex, and thank you, Skylar, as well, for sitting in for Tony and myself. Last couple of episodes, great content from them, too. So that's it. We'll be back in a few weeks with more Cycling Fashion Week. Please also send us your canal submissions. Send us your bikes. We will get back to reviewing those. But yeah, do send us your canal submissions. We also love the voice notes. If you want to send us a DM, that's a voice note that we can play on the show when we do the canal. We would love that. You can do so on our Instagram at Cycling Fashion Week. Until then, take care and see you soon. Bye.